Hello, friends, and welcome to the Ask Nurse Alice podcast. I'm your host, Alice Benjamin, clinical nurse specialist, family nurse practitioner, and chief nursing officer here at nurse.org. And I want to welcome you to another episode. Really, really appreciate everyone who's been tuning in and listening. We really hope that the content that we're bringing you is the stuff that you want. So let me just start this off by saying we want to hear from you. We definitely want to hear from you. So make sure to visit nurse.org. Let us know what you want to hear. And you can email me at nursealice at nurse.org. We talk about a lot of stuff, things important to the profession as nurses. And even if you're not a nurse, doctor, physician, occupational therapist, you name it, there's something there for you. And this conversation is also for you. But even still, we're also consumers of healthcare. So we like to talk about things, not only for our patients, but things that we can apply to our own life. Now, as a nurse, longtime nurse, although it doesn't look like it, you know, I look very youthful and I am, but I've been a nurse for quite some time, over 23 years, y'all. I know you don't believe it, but it's true. And um, I've been a licensed practical nurse. A re- well, let me back it up. I've started off as a CNA, nursing assistant, CNA, LPN, RN. Then I went back for different degrees. Then I became a clinical nurse specialist, did a postmaster's, became a nurse practitioner. And along the way, I just recall hearing certain conversations about, you know, when I would hear people referring to their titles, very specifically, I remember hearing someone saying, I'm not a nurse, I'm a nurse practitioner. And I always thought that was kind of weird, you know, and at the time I was, I was a nurse, I wasn't yet an APRN. And then, but in my own journey, it kind of was in the back of my head. And I never said that when someone asked me if I'm a nurse, I said, yes, I'm a nurse practitioner. And I just elaborate and build on it. It's not like this. You're either a nurse or either a nurse practitioner or, or either a nurse or either a CNS. But anyways, I wanted to bring on one of my best buds on the show. You guys know him. He is amazing, amazing, amazing. I'm bringing on the show Dr. James Simmons. He is an acute care nurse practitioner and hospitalist and TV medical contributor. Welcome, Dr. Simmons. Dr. Oh, James. Oh, thank you for having me on. You're so sweet. I love that introduction. Yay. Thank y'all. <laughs> yeah. And so, you, you know, just James. I mean, no, you have James. to call me by my full name, Dr. Jameson. I'm kidding. I'm playing out. Dr. Jameson. Just James. Just... Do, do people ever say that to you? Like you have to, I've seen people, if you don't yeah. say doctor, they're just looking at, they're just going to like, I'm going to just wait till they, you know, till yeah. they refer to me correctly before I respond to them. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I use, I guess have in my that? clinical practice, you know, at the hospital, uh, I'm a hospitalist, right? Like you said, people call mm-hmm. me doctor. Generally, I don't, it's not like I don't, I demand it. Like if a nurse or, or anyone, a PT or someone's like, Hey James, da, 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 da. I don't trip. And I'm not like, uh, it's doctor. Um, but people generally do. I don't know. I think it's a, maybe, I don't know why I guess I don't really get hung up on it, but I also, I'm also like, I also worked for this. Like I am Dr. Simmons. So, mm-hmm. you know, feel free to call me that. I'm also James. Like it works. The Dr. James. <laughs> Not, guys, any, not any Dr. James, the Dr. James. The Dr. So wait, fun fact, fun fact, guys. I was doing a CCT shift and I was going to a particular hospital and, you know, the um, the admitting provider was Dr. James Simmons. I was like, wait a minute. I got on my cell phone. I think it was one in the morning. I don't know. I was like, do, 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 do. James, are you admitting a patient? Because I just knew. And then he says, no, that's not me. I said, well, just so you know, there's somebody over here pretending to be you <laughs> at right. another hospital There's as another if Dr. James there, the name couldn't exist. Right. But yeah. I think it's because we um, both were, we both had, were working night shift, right? That night. Like you knew I was oh, up because yeah, I was, yeah, I was admitting that night. That's funny. 
Yeah. Oh, just so you guys know, I don't just randomly call people. Well, sometimes I do call random at 2 a.m. 2 but those are for best, those are best buds who are, I know are going to pick up. Hope you have a friend like that. I do. <laughs> um, but anyway, so back to this conversation. So James, and we have our, our, our pathways to becoming advanced practice nurses are very di- are different. Um, and I'm going to, Dr. James has shared this before, but I'm gonna let him share it as well. But you guys, as I mentioned earlier, I went from CNA, like I literally climbed every step of the ladder to get to an advanced practice nurse role. So when I became one, it was like, yes, I'm a nurse and more specifically a nurse practitioner. I've never been the person to say, I'm not a nurse. I'm a nurse practitioner because I've heard people say that I have my suspicions about people, those folks, but I'm going to get into that in a little bit, but Dr. James, your pathway was a little bit different, your education ladder to becoming who you are today. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so my, my bachelor's degree is actually in broadcast journalism. So I started off as like a, I'm technically a, t- a trained TV news writer, like a TV news producer behind the scenes. And then a little bit of TV, a little bit of on-camera stuff, but I actually started in like TV and radio. And then I parlayed that into like PR and marketing. And then this whole time I was like, I want to be a nurse. So interesting. While I had this like big, PR marketing job at PepsiCo, interestingly, um, and I was working on like Gatorade and Tropicana and Quaker Oats brands. I actually went to CNA school like at night because I was like, I want to start this nursing journey, but I want to get a little bit of experience. I want to make sure I can do this right. Like you think you you think you know what nursing is and all of us understand that people don't really know it until you get into it. Right. So I did the CNA thing and got my EMT at the same time. So I actually was a CNA and an EMTB. And then worked in a, an emergency department while, like as an EMT, while I went to an accelerated program. So one of those programs where if you have a bachelor's degree in something else and you've taken all the prerequisite science courses, they will fast track you through the RN portion. You take the NCLEX and then you spend some time working on your NP. So my fast track through the NCLEX portion was only 15 months. It was the craziest 15 wow. months of my life. It was like, it was literally like 30 credits at a time. You, you, we just ate, slept, the other S word, nursing all the time, constantly, <laughs> right? Then took the NCLEX, I passed, thank God. And then I took two and a half years to work on my NP um, after that. And I do remember being in clinicals with some of my, you know, NP preceptors who were, they found it really important to make sure that people understood the difference between them being a nurse practitioner and them being a nurse in that environment. And I didn't really understand it at the time. Um, and I felt a little, some kind of way about it, like a little salty about it. Now that I've been an NP for eight years, uh, I get it a little bit more. I might, I might not be the most popular person because of that. And we can talk about it, but I get it a little bit more now. Right. Right. And, I believe that some of the reason why that that exists, that kind of, I don't want to say rivalry, it's not necessarily a rivalry, but really wanting to distinguish yourself as an advanced practice nurse, as an NP, is because you have a different scope of practice. And I think that once people hear the word nurse, they think, oh, they all do the same thing. Or that if you identify as a nurse, that you can't be an advanced practice nurse and have prescriptive authority and do all of these other things. And I think you know, being a nurse actually is confusing to the public because there's so many entry points, so many different types of nurses. So I think at least from a public perspective, it's confusing, but then also with physicians. I don't know that, I mean, 
you've been an MP longer than I have, mm -hmm. James. I mean, I've been, I was a CNS for 13 years before becoming an MP, but I know people had a hard time I didn't, trying to figure out what a clinical nurse specialist is. As a nurse practitioner, what's your experience with, yeah. you know, people, uh, physicians and the general public? Like, did they ever say, are you a nurse? And then you've had to correct them and say, I'm a nurse practitioner? Yes, all the time, though. I think it's really, I think it's situational. So, because sometimes I think one of the things we struggle with is, is as advanced practice providers is particularly like where in, in the environments that you practice in, essentially the buck stops with me. So my patient's in mm -hmm. the hospital. I am the primary care provider, as in I am the primary care provider. I am the team lead, right? So right. I'm talking to and coordinating with the consultants. I'm talking to and coordinating with the nurses. We are a team, PTOT, administration, case management, everybody, right? But at the end of the day, in my role as an internal medicine hospitalist, I am the captain of the ship for this patient, right? The patient is always number one, but I'm the captain of their experience while they're in the hospital. And I think sometimes where at least my brain goes, I suppose I can't speak for everyone, but where my brain goes is that sometimes I think it's important for patients and their family members and even other people in the clinical, you know, staff to understand what your role is and to be very, very mm -hmm. clear about that. And so if I've had to correct people who are like, oh, my nurse is James, I immediately go to yes, I'm a nurse. I'm never not a nurse. Even when people call me Dr. James, I mean, I'm the first one on TV. They're like, Dr. James, hospitalist nurse practitioner. I literally always make sure that they, they say that I'm a nurse practitioner. I am a very proud nurse, a very proud nurse practitioner. I'm also Dr. James, right? So, but I think what's important is if they say, oh, that's my nurse, James. What they also don't get with that is that I'm the guy in charge. And it's not that mm -hmm. I'm on some power trip, but we have hierarchies in nursing and medicine, sometimes for a reason. Yeah. And so for the all of the good things that happen when I'm in charge and the potentially bad things that happen, right? I want people to know that I'm the person that you need to come to. That is my primary care provider. That is the boss of everything that is happening around here. And not out of disrespect of the RN role, but the RN is not the captain of the ship. Facts. I, I know that I know that that might be really controversial when people get that. I'm not discredited. Just like the cardiologist, just like the physical therapist, just like the administrators. At the end of the day, as far as how I practice, the patient is always number one. And then their mm -hmm. primary care provider, whether that is an NPPA physician, whatever, whoever that internal medicine, hospitalist, primary care person, they're running the show. They kind of need to know what's going on with everything. And you need to know that that's the person running the show. And so it's not that I don't disrespect, you know, that I'm trying to disrespect being an RN. I'm very, very proud of it. I'm literally on TV, sometimes national TV, talking about how proud I am of being a nurse. But at the end of the day, I'm the nurse practitioner because that lets everyone know my scope of practice allows me to legally and responsibility-wise be the person in charge. And thank you for saying that because I think it's very important. So as a nurse practitioner, you went on for additional education. You took a, a board exam. You have a, an additional license that allows you to practice at a higher level of care, a bigger scope than a registered nurse. That, I mean, this is no shade. This is just facts, guys. It's just facts. Um, but one thing I wanted to say before we continue the conversation, because there, there's an article on nurse.org that talks about APRN roles. 
And I just wanted people who are listening, because some of y'all are in nursing school or aspiring to be nurses, or maybe you're a nurse and just this hasn't crossed your desk maybe. But when we talk about going for advanced education, that's great. Go for your master's, go for your doctorate. That's great. But just because you go for advanced education doesn't necessarily automatically make you an advanced practice nurse. There are only four recognized advanced practice nurses. Those are nurse practitioner, clinical nurse specialist, nurse midwife, and nurse anesthetist. These are folks that require an additional license and certification to practice on a grander scale with a different scope than a registered nurse. So, and and not James. necessarily mm-hmm. more important either. I think it's really, I think it's that's different. where people get really, really offended. And I think I was too when In I was at feelings. the bedside, right? That and I, I mean, I I fully like fully transparency. I practiced at the bedside for three and a half years. I've been an NP for eight years. Like I clearly have more, much more experience and time as an NP than I was at the bedside. But I, I think people internalize when an, an advanced practice provider, so specifically nurses, right? When an, an NP or, or an APRN says, I'm an NP or I'm the midwife, that it means we're degrading the nurse. That might also be around the RN, right? It's not that we're not, we know, like, of course we have to be RNs to get to this place. But uh, if you're in the middle of a delivery, particularly if it's a high risk situation and there's some stuff going down, the midwife has a different relationship to the situation than the bedside mm-hmm. nurse does, like period, full stop. That is not a commentary on you or your abilities as a person or your humanness as a nurse, right? It is just in the situation, mom and baby might be in trouble and the midwife has a role and the bedside nurse has a role, like period, end of discussion, no shade, no tea, no shade. <laughs> no, tea, no, shade. no, but that's true. And I think, I, you know, first off, let's, let's everybody check our feelings and egos at the door, right? We're having a collegial conversation and helping to, you know, dissect and describe and explain things that go on within the nursing profession. So James, you said it so eloquently, the difference is there. I think that sometimes registered nurses don't fully under, even fully understand the APRN scope of practice. So I think that that contributes to some of this animosity as well. They're different. I mean, the patient is always a priority, always, but the way that we approach things and the things that we're responsible for and the things that we do are different. Still with the end goal, though, of taking great care of our patients. Yep. So what do you think are some of the common misconceptions that registered nurses have about APRNs? Excellent question. I mean, I I do think one of the things, if I can just take this moment to say this too, I think the it goes both ways too, right? I think that APRNs, because we are what we do and our scope can be so different than what we did when we were bedside RN, uh, we need to not lose sight of that, right? We just like we mm-hmm. we're like physicians need to respect that nursing is an is a, it's an autonomous profession right? Nurses are not at the beck and call of other people. We are our own profession, right? And we are, now I remember I was talking about being a nurse practitioner driving the ship, but oftentimes the most important wheel making that ship go and doing the best for the patient is the nurse at the bedside, right? Like we very clear about that. And I think it is really important for APRNs to continually remember that and remind ourselves of that and check ourselves sometimes too, if we start tripping, talking about, well, you're just the nurse or you don't understand, you don't understand and da, da, da. they might not understand, but guess what, boo, if you're like me, you're five and a half years removed from the bedside, I might not understand what it's like to be at the bedside anymore either. So I definitely think it, it has to go 
both ways. Like, I feel like I want to be on record <laughs> letting everybody know that I definitely think it has to go both ways. I do think that the, in terms of answering your question, Alice, about like misperceptions of, of maybe what APRNs do, I, I think even that transition from RN to APRN is so difficult and so challenging. Mm -hmm. And you don't realize the burden of responsibility that yes. may be going on there. And so when you, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit more used to it now, but like someone picks up the phone and calls me and they're like, okay, so, you know, patient X, Mrs. XYZ's blood pressure is 77 over 50 and you're the bedside nurse asking for orders, you might know in your brain what you think I'm about to say. But mm -hmm. as the captain of that ship that I keep going back to, it is my responsibility to remember her allergies and trying to hang on to her kidney function as well. And I'm literally thinking about perfusion and I'm literally going back to what was her, you know, echocardiogram. What was the conversation with I had, had with the cardiologist earlier? Also, what was the conversation that I had with Mrs. XYZ's first uh, next of kin mm -hmm. who might've said that we're considering a DNR, we might sign it tonight, right? Like what if I, I might've over fluid volume overloaded her anyway. So I'm thinking about that. Like she, maybe her sodium's 119. So like a bolus might not be the best idea or like, what am I bolusing? All these things are going through my brain yeah. because at the end of the day, I'm the person that has to make that decision. And I think that sometimes in those scenarios, RNs, just because that's not in, in an RN scope, aren't thinking about those things. And then what might come out of my mouth, even while all that's going is, Okay, well, I just give a 500 liter bolus and I'll call you back. Well, what the bedside nurse is like, dang, Dr. James is salty today. And why did he snap at me? And I just, I was, they better be glad that I called him and told him that the blood pressure was 77 over 50. Why did he need to be so mad? And why only 500 liters and da da da, da right? So I think it's, it's, it's maybe not necessarily understanding the weight and the burden of everything that's going on in that decision making when you are in that advanced practice role. A lot of responsibility. I, in my head, I was thinking of, I know why he snapped, but um, <laughs> can I just have a transparent moment? Please. please. As, reg on, as registered nurses, it's very, very important that when there's a change in condition, you have some type of finding and you're looking for an intervention and you call your provider, please have all your ducks lined up in a row. Have all the information, at least have a recent vital set of vital signs. Don't just call and say, oh, the potassium is 3.2. Okay, well, are there any arrhythmias? Are they symptomatic? Like, what's going on? Do they have diarrhea? Like, are they peeing out a storm? Like, tell me something. So that's no <laughs> excuse to snap. However, I can right. understand sometimes the frustration that occurs. And it's not just between RNs and MPs, but just with providers. I mean, we've, we've gotten that kind of shitty report from someone before. And we're like, girl, yeah. bro, what is this? Um, but yes, <laughs> right. so definitely. It, even amongst our set, like as RNs, right? Back and forth to each other. We're like, dang, like, really? So having worked in the emergency room and ICU, sometimes conversation happen, has to happen direct, like very direct communication. It's not that I'm being mean. Maybe I wasn't as touchy feely and didn't kind of, you know, warm up the conversation with, hey girl, how you doing? You know, on the patients, you know, loves floral arrangements. This, I didn't, none of that fluff. I just got straight to the point. And I think sometimes that contributes to the message that's received when we're communicating. But in that situation, Dr. James, it sounds like you're just giving a, you know, you're just being very direct especially when it's probably at two in the morning when they woke you up. Uh, right, right. Which is, I mean, that's part of my job, right? Even as I, I tell people that all the time. I literally, after night shift, you know, I, I literally will 
you know, people will call me while I'm sleeping at the hospital or whatever. Right. And they'll, you know, they'll call me and wake me up and, and then I start making my rounds at like 4am or whatever, you know, if it's not an emergency. And literally when I get back up to the floor, I'm like, I think I was cranky with you two and a half hours ago when you woke me up. I'm so sorry. Right. And the nurses are always like, Oh, it's cool. Dr. James, you're fine. Da, da, da. Like we understand. I think people get it in those particular circumstances. But what I do think sort of exacerbates all of this is we're, we're all doing this through a lens of, as nurse.org has been so incredible about reporting and focusing on not even only for the last two years, but before that, we are all so damn tired and burned out and stressed. And so you might be interpreting, you might love Dr. James, but you might, you know, you might, y'all might be out of ratio today because there were four sick calls, you know, so now you're six to one. And, you know, at least in the state of California where we have ratios, some in Illinois where I grew up nursing, we don't have no damn ratios. So you might have 12 patients. Nine of them might be crashing. You know, all of this is happening. Grandpa's rectal tube keeps falling out. Everyone's, you know, all of these different things are happening. And you're just trying to, you know, hospital protocol says you call me and you have to tell me when the potassium mm-hmm. is less than 3.2. So you call me at a three with 3.1. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And you're like, dang, Dr. James is so salty with me. I just had to call him about this. Right? We all have to remember that we're doing this through in the middle of a pandemic, not getting paid probably the way we should, not having the hours the way we should, not having staff room ratios the way we should. We have this filter on in front of everything. And so I think even as we talk about the relationship between communication and understanding what APRNs versus RNs and all of that, we all have to remember, like, everyone just breathe. We're all at the end of the day here as a part of a team to do the best mm-hmm. that we can for these patients that we're here to serve. We are all in this together. And, you know, let, and I just want to point this out. Some of this, I'm going to call it sibling rivalry almost, that sometimes <laughs> the RNs and the, the APRNs have. I want people to, you know, don't be so far removed because I've seen some RNs, how they treat CNAs on the mm. floor as if they are better, as if that, you know, everyone has an equally important job. Your, your responsibilities are different. Um, you have more responsibilities in the CNA, you know, with medications, assessments, documentation and communication, those type of things. However, you also do get paid more, right? You went for more education, you got paid more. So it's not that you're any better than the CNA. It's just, you have a different scope. Mm-hmm. So as I think that's a, that rivalry, and there should not be any robbery, but that's the only word I can think of right now. We're, we're familiar with that. We, we, we've seen all seen some RNs who treat the nursing assistants and the techs and the EMTs poorly because mm-hmm. they think that they're better. And I think sometimes RNs feel that, you know, APRNs do that to them. And I'm pretty sure there are. There are some, you know, we sprinkle. There's one in every family, right? Totally. There are some people that do that, but we shouldn't be doing that because we're just all in this together. Yeah, I, now. I 100% agree. Okay. Okay. So I am a nurse practitioner and a clinical nurse specialist. So I'm saying MPs a lot. I don't want my CNS family to feel like I'm left. I've left them out. I've not, I've not, but right now I'm we're the conversation. I just want to, I'm going to focus uh, on the nurse practitioners for a moment. Now, James, you tell me what, if, have you ever ha- encountered an experience with a physician who has openly treated you in a way where it's like, Oh, you're just an MP type of way. <laughs> how did you handle that? Ooh, Alice, how Especially long... since you have doctor in your name. How Some of them are probably say... like, he's not a doctor. Uh-huh. Hmm? How long did you say mm-hmm. this podcast was? Ah, stop. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Ah, we got all the time. Uh, unfortunately, a, a very large number of times, depending on my uh, clinical practice environment. Mm-hmm. Early on, 
I, fortunately or unfortunately, I was one of the very first hospitalist nurse practitioners. I, I actually was at this one particular hospital. I was the very first NP that the medical staff ever gave full admitting like internal medicine privileges to as a nurse practitioner. Oh, wow. So I was the very first one. So I'm calling... Now, here in the state of California, we still have collaborative relationships, right? So you still have to have, like, I can practice on my own. He can be in a different building. Like, he can be off in wherever. They just literally have to be available by phone. But I have a collaborative, you have to have a physician collaborative relationship with an MD or a DO. So my MD that I work with, that I was collaborated with, I don't know, he was off in a different hospital. Like, he wasn't even, you know, paying any attention to me. But so I you know, literally called a cardiologist and I was like, oh, you know, I'd like to consult you for this patient. I think X, Y, Z is going on. Like, whatever. I'd love your thoughts. And they were literally, I mean, they tripped. They were like, who are you? Why are you calling me? Nurses aren't supposed to call consults. Who's your boss? Who's your supervisor? All of this stuff. Hmm. I mean, that that has happened way, way, way more times than I care to acknowledge or care to really, you know, unfortunately have to talk about but interestingly no it's getting better it's getting a lot better depending on the environment now i generally practice in the community so at community hospitals large and small and at least in here in southern california in community hospital environments um it's a lot better and so there's there are a lot more nurse practitioners who do what i do as as hospitalists and the consultants in particular and our physician colleagues very much understand what our role is and our scope of practice and what we can do. And even if they feel some kind of way about it, they generally keep it to themselves. I also come with a different energy. And I think that's a really important thing mm. for folks to, to, to think about in all of these conversations. So I'm not mousy, shy. Yeah, it'd be great if you could consult mm. any more about this patient. And like I told you, I've been doing this for eight years now. I feel like I, I, Finally, I'm figuring out what the hell I'm doing <laughs> right after eight years. Just say so, it. Yeah. Right, right. And I feel a little more confident about some stuff. So, and, and there's a better relationship. So even, you know, the hospital I'm at right now, I've been there um, 15 months or so. This is my second time at this hospital. So a lot of those folks know me. They knew me from before when I was baby NP. They know me now as Dr. James and they call me that. And it's not like I'm like, hey, you have to call me Dr. Whatever, but I introduce myself to the patient as, hi, I'm Dr. James. I'm your nurse practitioner. And the physicians hear me say that, the nurses hear me say that, and they carry on and call me Dr. James or Dr. Simmons. And so it still happens sometimes every once in a while. Actually, it actually just happened a few weeks ago. I had a radiologist, an interventional radiologist who was new to our hospital. And that interventional radiologist paged me through our service and got to me. And I was, you know, the phone answered and I was like, hey, this is James. And the interventional radiologist was like, oh, is this N.P. Simmons? And I was like, yeah, that's me. And they were like, oh, I have a critical finding on this procedure. I need to talk to your supervising physician. And I was like, nope, <laughs> you need to talk to me. You need to tell me I'm I'm the internal medicine hospitalist for this patient. Like, I'm I you please tell me. And they were like, no, I need to uh, I need to report this out to an attending physician. Well, that person had just come from practicing in an academic medical environment on the East Coast where mm -hmm. they just, that hospital had very strict rules and protocols about when a certain finding like that, it literally had to go to an attending physician. It couldn't even go to like a fellow where that mm -hmm. interventional radiologist came from. So lots of people who grow up in or are primarily trained in or practiced in these teaching environments Sometimes they're the hardest oh. ones. It's not that they're trying to disrespect you; is that they yeah, literally, you. right? They've spent so long 
being like, oh, well, this University of XYZ hospital system says that I have to report this to an attending physician. So it's more like that lately versus eight, Mm. you know, seven, eight years ago when it felt a little bit more disrespectful. Unfortunately, though, Alice, it still happens probably two, three times a year. People will be real, Mm -hmm. real, real salty. You know, oh, no, I don't take I don't take consultations. I have had a neurosurgeon recently. I don't take consultations from nurse practitioners. Y'all don't know what you're talking about. Whoa, he said that just the best, the best one was during COVID. I had an RT who would not do, who would not do ABGs ordered by NPs. Y'all order ABGs too much. I only take ABG orders from physicians. I was like, give me that. I know how to do ABGs, (laughs) but, um, yeah, (laughs) I do. I do know how to do ABGs. We learned in ICU. So if you don't get up out of here, really? Yeah. Well, see, you know what? Okay. So you guys, you know, I'm being a little messy, but I think it boils down to <laughs> we as healthcare providers, as the healthcare team, we don't even really fully understand each other's scope. Could you imagine if we really exactly. knew each other's scope and allowed each other to practice to the fullest capacity of your licensure and training? You know how, how much we could get done? Yep. How much could we get done? Yep. Isn't it? I feel like that's even a thing with, with RNs too. I, a lot of times I really feel like I try to educate. So like, let's say, you know, I have nurses that will call me about a potassium of 3.3. We'll just stick on potassium. Cause you know, I feel some mm-hmm. kind of way about that. It's a true story guys. It's really <laughs> potassium. So you might call me a potassium at 3.3. So a lot of times, if, especially if I have the time, I try at to use that as an opportunity to educate. Like mm-hmm. at, two at, at two o'clock in the morning. Like, first of all, if the day team didn't address it, that might be for, you know, there might be a reason for that, but Cool. I'm glad that you identified that this is an abnormal lab, but also it is within your scope of practice as an RN to do some more investigation, understand why, why is that actually a lab that I may or may not care about or may or may not be critical. And to your point earlier, Alice, why is, what other information is really going to paint a really lovely picture for me so that we can make a great clinical decision best for the patient together at 2 a.m.? So when you wake me up out of a dead sleep and tell me that the potassium is 3.3, I also want RNs to feel empowered because you can, because it is part of your scope of practice to be like, I went ahead and ordered an EKG or I pulled some strips off the monitor. There's no, I, I'm not interpreting any changes right now. There's no, you know, ST segment elevations or T wave changes, anything like that. Also, this patient's other laboratory values are well within, you know, normal. They're not having any chest pain. They don't have any diarrhea. Like we fluids are running at this. There's actually some potassium in the fluids that you're running. Paint me a little picture. I will listen to you for 20 seconds while you paint me a picture of a potassium of 3.3 and be happy that you called versus you just calling me and saying the potassium was 3.3. And I think our ends, I think we have to do a better job in our profession and APRNs of helping RNs feel empowered to be able to practice in their full scope as well, our full scope as well. That is true. Um, And I have to be honest, even before becoming an APRN, nurses who call and just say, and just gives that one statement, oh, the potassium is this, the blood pressure is this, without painting any type of clinical, give a little mini S-bar or something uh, about what's going on because, you know, heaven forbid the whoever you get on the phone, whether it's the nurse practitioner or the physician, if you don't give them enough information, they may go down the wrong rabbit hole and this may exacerbate the issue. But we do need to empower our colleagues, James, that we need to empower them. And 
I want people, one of the things that I, I really like to do, I like to make every, you know, a teachable moment, but make them feel comfortable and say, you know, mm-hmm. you know, so if they forget and they have to ask again, okay, but never be afraid to not ask a question, even as a new nurse, when something would come up and I would call a provider for something and maybe it wasn't exactly what I thought should be ordered. I would just say, you know, Dr. James, just for, for my uh, learning purpose, cause I wanted, I want to be better. I was thinking more along the lines of X, Y, and Z. Can you tell me why not those and why we, we ordered this mm-hmm. instead? Now that might be a little difficult at two in the morning, but if you, you know, you got to fill the, fill, fill Dr. James out at two in the morning, see if he's willing, wanting ah, to talk. What kind of mood but, am I at two o'clock in the morning? <laughs> yeah. Tell him you got coffee and donuts on your floor and then exactly. he's like, okay, I'll there come on go. right on down and we'll have this talk. But you know, we have to create a more nurturing environment because you know, they say nurses eat their young. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. And yep. I think we do. And some of it is, and you guys, if you haven't already, go to nurse.org and read the real nursing report. So many contributing factors as to why we are snippy, short mm-hmm. with each other. We mm-hmm. we shouldn't be, especially because in the end, the patient's going to suffer. Yep. Then you're gonna have some also have some nurse dissatisfaction as well. Yep. Okay. For sure. I, I love that, by the way, Alice. I, I absolutely do love, even at, you, sometimes not at two o'clock in the morning. I say this like the only thing I work is nights. Y'all only, We're saying two o'clock. Wait, uh, we keep saying two o'clock in the morning. You, we yeah, when you, when you call, James tells me stories about people who call <laughs> nights no Call at two o'clock in the morning. I mean, listen, you, when you call me at 10, 13 a.m., like after the case management meeting, that's great. I actually He's love sweet. that. I really want to, if we're really going to like walk, walk the talk, in terms of empowering our end, especially we have a lot of baby, a lot of new nurses at my hospital, and we've just gone through an ownership change and it's kind of drama, but lots of new nurses. I've I actually really encourage there. that when they say, what do you say? I said, I've dropped patients off at your hospital. Yep. Oh yeah, you know. So, I, but I love it when the new nurses say, Dr. James, that's really interesting. I, can you, I, I want to know why you ordered that instead of this mm-hmm. or, you know, okay, you know, the, uh, I don't know, ammonia is 110 and you're not giving me any new orders. That's really curious. I, I, I want to know just for learning purposes, like the patient's only on lactose daily or something. Like why, why did you not want to change that? Great. I, I love it. I love that because A, I love to teach, but B, I also love that we are both trying to think about the patient in the same way. Maybe I missed something. Maybe I actually didn't yeah. know that the patient was only on lactulose daily, right? So maybe at that ammonia 110, almost normal, I'm trying to pump them up to be, you know, BID or something, like whatever. I'm throwing, just throwing out examples here. But, but just asking that question in the right way, hey, Dr. James, I totally want to learn just, I think there's like, awesome, you're not doing anything, but like the patient's only on lactulose daily. Like, can you tell me why we're rolling with that? Like, just be cool about it, right? We're a team together. Mm-hmm. I love when people ask me that stuff. I think it goes a long way in building relationships between where whoever you are, physician, RN, PT, APRN, CNS, EMS, whatever. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Because um, guys, we're in this together, right? And even though James is a nurse practitioner, I'm a nurse practitioner at CNS, we are still registered nurses. Very proud. We couldn't be we couldn't be APRNs without the RN. We just mm-hmm. be APs. I don't know. I'm just making that up. <laughs> <laughs> Alice over here doing Mad Libs by herself, trying to make that I know, stuff. I know. <laughs> I know. But, but, but you know, and, I'm, and so I'm going to come back full circle. We kind of started this conversation out as to why some APRNs don't, you know, disassociate themselves from RNs and why RNs kind of feel a little salty about MPs or APRNs, like as if they're better 
then, you know, better than them. And it's not, it's not, I think we just need to get out of our feelings and we really need to be more respectful in our communication and just understand we're all caring for the patients. We all have the same end goal, but we're just all going to have, our jobs are going to be a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you really don't know what someone's full scope is until you're actually maybe in that, in that role. So don't just be quick to assume that, oh, they should know this, they should do this. And, you know, ask, let's conversate, let's, let's communicate, communicate those things. And, um, you know, let's just be one happy family. What do you think, James? It's perfect. I, I try to approach everything from every time I'm talking to someone or interacting with someone, I'm trying to respect their humanity. And yes. I think if you, if I'm respecting your human, like if I'm literally looking at you as a person and not your title, right? Because you are a person, not your title. Just like not, I know we're not going down a politics road, but I'm looking, you are a person, not your politics. People's information is bad. People are not bad. People are not bad. Their information is right. So, but if I constantly I like am thinking about, yeah, I love that. It's one of my favorite things lately that people are not bad. Their information is so, but that, that comes from respecting my humanity. So if I, I don't care what the letters are before or after my name, you call me doctor or not. Like if you're respecting my humanity, I'm respecting your humanity. We're going to figure this out. It's going to be just fine. Yes. Yes, we will. We will definitely figure it out, but we're going to have to figure it out another episode because I have pulled away a lot of Dr. James time, but we're going to bring him back. He is definitely a friend, friend of mine, friend of nurse.org and a friend of everyone. Cause he's on TV all the time, guys. If you haven't already, you got to follow funny. Dr. James Simmons. So Dr. James, where can people follow? Like, what are you working on and where can people follow you? Oh, uh, you're so sweet. So I'm most active on Instagram, but I'm trying to get this TikTok off the ground. So y'all go follow okay. me on TikTok if you want, please. Uh, so I'm at ask the NP, ask the NP everywhere on TikTok. It's ask the NP with a little underscore at the end. But if you search ask, ask the NP, it's the first one that'll come up. Uh, also ask the NP.com. You can see some of my other stuff there. And uh, yeah, stay tuned. We might have some exciting things coming in the new year. He always got exciting stuff, guys. I'm like, James, what you got going on this week? Just, I'm just so trying much... to keep up with you, Alice. Whatever, whatever. <laughs> I'm just doing a million and one things. You're doing all um, of the things, right? <laughs> You're just holding I it down. I do stay busy. So guys, you know me, I'm Nurse Alice. Um, you can follow me on everything and anything Ask Nurse Alice. And I have a TikTok. I haven't... I, have, I probably just tick and don't talk enough, but um, I'm on there. I'm on there, but mainly, you know, on Instagram, working on a lot of things. I got a book, books in the work. Mm -hmm. So that's my, that's let my next know. thing. Let them know. Alice. Let them know. Let them know. Just like I got to let you know that nurse.org is so awesome and amazing for helping to put this podcast on. They let us, they let, you know what? I was so honored when I was asked to be the chief nursing officer. Cause I think of the chief nursing officer at my hospital, well, the hospitals I've worked at and I thought about all the things that I would not do. Uh -huh. And then I thought of all the things I should and could do. And so I'm like, oh, cool. I get to work with nurse.org on this and do all of these wonderful things that chief nursing officers in hospitals wouldn't let me do. Uh, oh, that's a whole nother story. I'm not going to get into that nice <laughs> stuff. But, you know, long story short, that just means that I get to contribute to nurse.org in a way that has typically been in, a, in an untraditional manner, if you think mm -hmm. of nursing. Mm -hmm. But... Long story short, that just means that we get to talk about anything and everything that's important to nurses. The good, the bad, the ugly, the elephant in the room, the things that have been taboo, the things you can't necessarily talk about at work because your manager might be listening. We can talk about all that here. I love it. So if you are interested in contributing to a conversation or have a topic you want to hear, um, please let us know. You can email me at nursealice at nurse.org. Make sure to visit nurse.org. Tons of information on the website. And the podcast, Sharing is Caring. Make sure to share it with your friends, your family, uh, your coworkers, 
rate, like, review, subscribe, all those wonderful things. Yes, all of those goody things. Yeah, thank you for joining us and listening into the conversation. Again, thank you to Dr. James for all of his infinite wisdom. He is amazing. And um, from myself and nurse.org, want to thank you for listening. So guys, until next time, be kind to one another, make good choices and live well, my friends.